Okay, welcome Blues to episode 9 of the Bolt from the Blue podcast. As usual, I'm going to mention you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and now also Stitcher and Acast and Google Play. We have our own blog site at boltfromtheblue.live, so feel free to check that out. On today's pod, I'm joined, as usual, by City fan legend Walter Smith. Walter, still living the dream? Oh, yeah, yeah. City is still winning. You've got to be living the dream. Uh, the holidays, unfortunately, have come to an end. Yeah. I know most people are here saying, yeah, you've had a long time holiday, and I do appreciate that, but it's always hard going back, isn't it? It is indeed, and Walter, I think we can't really start without mentioning the 10-year reign of the Abu Dhabi Kings. I think it was the 1st of September 2008 when it all started. Do you remember where you were at the time that you heard this? I remember exactly where I was. I was uh, starting a new job that day. And uh, to be fair, I've been working at the same job for 10 years. I, I remember just being, you're trying to make a good impression on that first day. And my phone was buzzing, beeping. You know, people were looking at me. And it was one of the old-fashioned phones where it didn't make a noise, but it still made the, the buzzing sound. Whether somebody thought, <laughs> I don't know what they thought I had in my pocket, but this thing was buzzing and buzzing constantly for a couple of hours while I was sat in a meeting. And I pulled it out, and I'm thinking, something's happening, something's gone on. And... Even on the day you don't sort of fully appreciate, it was it just couldn't comprehend where our journey was going and what was happening. Yeah, I mean, I I remember it well. I'd been in Korea two years at that time. Um, I got a call from my dad, and he just said, "Switch on the TV and look at Sky Sports, or whichever version of sports you have there in Korea." And uh, I looked at it, and I couldn't believe it. And then the next thing he told me, he said, um, "Looks like we're going to sign Berbatov." And that was what he had heard. We didn't really stand much of a chance, did we? Because old Bacon Face, he drove to the airport to pick him up, didn't he? <laughs> Kidnapping, I think they call it. To be fair, at the time, City, well, we finished ninth and we yep. weren't signing big players. If you've got a chance at the time to sign for Manchester United or Manchester City, you know, there was only ever going to be one winner there. You know, they, they were they were leagues ahead of us at the time because they got home that night. I looked at it was these little sky updates and it was like, well, Berbatov's on a plane. City put a bid in for him. Mm. You know, he's on a plane to Manchester. Well, United are putting a bid for him. And Sky, every single year on deadline day, has tried to ramp it up to be just what it was naturally that night. You know, mm-hmm. the whole, it was just going bonkers on the telly, you know, and, and it was, nobody knew what was happening. And you had City fans with tea towels and elastic bands dancing around the Etihad. It wasn't called the Etihad Eastlands, should I say. Rubinho was going to be signing for Chelsea. Just It was all this sort of... And City have put in X amount of bids for these players that you'd only dream of seeing in a blue shirt at the time. Mm-hmm. So it was just... Uh, it was one of the best evenings of television I've ever watched. Well, it was just... it was We hadn't seen anything like it before. You know, Abramovich had spent the money, but these guys had announced to take over... And the next thing you know, it was, you got all these sort of journalists in England scrambling around like mad trying to get this exclusive. And I remember they logged onto the website. There was nothing. I mean, zero dot zilch. And they're like, well, they can't have bought it because they're not even advertising it. There was a couple of journalists who got a number and phoned the secretary and said, well, yeah, unless it's over half a billion, we don't bother putting it on the website. I remember when I heard that, I just thought, these guys mean business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, without that takeover, City were ninth, but they were struggling. And, you know, there was talk of administration. There was Gary Cook there who said he was firefighting. Ultimately, these men that we've grown to love, Yaya, Silva, Aguero, they'd have just never met up. You know, they, they wouldn't have signed for Manchester City. They wouldn't be anything to do with. I mean, David Silva may have gone on to sign for United. I know they were interested at the time, and we'd have all hated him. It's incredible. It's that sliding doors moment of these guys have signed. I remember we had Rubinho, which was unbelievable, and then we had Mark Hughes. I always maintain that Mark Hughes got a job as the owner of a corner shop, and he ended up being the CEO of Tesco's and incredibly out of his depth. 
Well, I mean, that's just the way it was. You know, he'd done a decent job at Blackburn on a budget, and I think that's what we were looking for. Then to be saying, well, who do you want? And, you know, he'd, he'd brought a fair play to, you know, he'd scouted Zabletta and company, but he certainly wasn't looking at the top end of the market, at your Rubinios. And that's ultimately what we wanted to bring in, you know. It was a weird one because we got the money and we couldn't go out and buy the players because the players didn't want to come to City because we'd not got a winning sort of... Uh, a winning mentality, a winning record, whatever you want to call it. We weren't in the Champions League. So, you know, it was a case of, well, I want to play for a team in the Champions League. We had to buy players in sort of incremental levels. You know, somebody who t- plays to get us to the Champions League, players to do well in the Champions League. And now it's a case of we dine at the top table. So we have got there, arguably, and Pep said it. And who am I to argue with Pep that we are the best team in the world? That's in the space of 10 years. We were all impatient, weren't we? You know, this money came in. We wanted to be the best team in one year, but it was never going to happen like that. And it's just been a fantastic journey. And now we're finally there. Yeah, I mean, I didn't actually realise at the time, but I only learned relatively recently listening to Gary Kirk that actually... Because uh, Taksin Shinawatra's his assets had been frozen, they didn't have money to pay the players' wages. There were problems with the groundsmen even buying paint to paint the white lines. That's how bad it was. Uh, you also mentioned Mark Hughes. The one thing I can never understand about Mark Hughes was his fascination with Rocky Santa Cruz. I mean, that player had played well for him, but he was at City for, I don't know, two, three seasons he was virtually injured the whole time i mean i i just one of his favorite players and that's the kind of player we were buying although we got company in zabaleta that was fantastic we got a couple of good ones but he bought a couple of real lame ducks as well well he got bellamy in you know it was wayne bridging you know your gareth barry's in you could see the sort of progression of where he wanted to go but i, I never talked to hughes ever I do enjoy watching him do badly in every single job that he does ever since. So it's just one of those things that he's the one city manager I just couldn't warm to. It was never his fault, ever. We were getting a little bit off topic, so let's get on topic. We had what can be regarded as a hard-fought win. This was the game against Newcastle at the Etihad, 5.30 kickoff. Let me give you a couple of quotes from the newspapers who were summarizing that game. On the Daily Mail, they wrote, At times it resembled an FA Cup tie against a lower league team. That was uh, Rob Draper from the Mail. And in The Guardian, they said, The narrow margin of victory felt like a deception. This was a comfortable win once Kyle Walker had restored the home side's lead with a firecracker of a of a shot in the second half. Yeah, did you think that the scoreline was a deception? Do you feel that it was a little bit like an FA Cup tie against a lower league team? I could see, I mean, uh, I hate to agree with anything that's in the Daily Mail, but um, yeah, I can see that completely. We restricted Newcastle to one opportunity. Well, they did score from it. And to be fair, it was a fantastic finish as well in terms of the way the ball was brought down out of the air, the way he passed it then out wide, and then the the cross that came in was perfect. We were undone by sort of a counter-attacking perfection. And Newcastle are not going to muster up more than one perfect counter-attacking in a game. Completely see where he's coming from on that front. I thought it wasn't a... The perfect performance from us, but it was the absolute perfect result. Let's talk about the lineup, Walter. So the Stones Laporte access was restored. No Sane or Diaz, they weren't even in the squad. Sterling operating on City's left wing, Riyad Mahrez on the right, David Silva in the space behind Aguero and Jesus. When you saw the lineup, were you happy with that? Did you think that that represented a return to what would be the best team that we could put out? I was a little bit bothered that Bernardo Silva wasn't in the team because he had started off the season so well, but I guess if they had decided to put him in, he would have been on the right where he's he's not so effective anyway. But uh, were you happy with the lineup? 
I'm happy pretty much with every city, every single city lineup. I mean, the amount of talent in that squad. Understand that we've started Mares on the on the right because you you paid sixty million for this guy. You've got to give him a run out. You've got to give him a goal. Here's my prediction. I think the next world superstar that's going to emerge from our team is Bernardo Silva. Mm-hmm. The guy's got magic in his boots, and the way he started this season. Uh, I just think he's found his feet now. After spending a year doing brilliantly, he's now raised his game up a completely different level. And uh, that's my prediction with him. I thought that pass out wide to Aguero, where he just took it with the outside of his foot after Edison rolled it out. Oh, that that was the move of the game for me. And it was just De Bruyne-esque, wasn't it? You know, he's uh, he's seen the bigger picture and he's played it into space, which I find De Bruyne does. De Bruyne, sometimes it looks a bit silly because he'll play it in a space and the defender will just mop it up. That should have been the job for the City forward. The City forward should have known that De Bruyne was looking at these kind of positions. And that was just the most De Bruyne pass I've seen uh, in the Premier League. So I think we've got, besides De Bruyne, of course, I think we've got an absolute world star just to come out. He's going to be the next one. And just think, he cost less than Sigerson cost for from Swansea <laughs> to Everton yeah. that very same window. Bernardo, for me, I love seeing him on the pitch, but I can understand why he didn't start. Uh, looking at Edison, I'm perfectly happy with. Stones, Laporte, absolutely. Uh, you know, Mendy Walker, absolutely. I'm a little bit confused maybe sometimes if you've got Newcastle, you know, are going to be organised. You know, are going to play four, five, you know, at the back in terms of they're going to keep a disciplined lines. We've got the two forwards on there, and I sometimes think, do they get in each other's way or in each other's spaces mm-hmm. when you could be using Asane or somebody else or playing three at the back and having Walker and um, Mendy bombing on more mm-hmm. just so that they can, um, it's different ways of opening it up, you know, different ways of skinning a cat or skinning a barcode as it was. A barcode indeed. I've actually been reading about Rafa's game plan against the big teams from some astute tactical watchers. Apparently what he likes to do is to go 5-4-1 and try to keep the score at 0-0 or keep it to a draw and then switch to 4-1-4-1 during about the last 10 or 15 minutes to see if he can nick a, you know, a jammy 1-0 win. That's the plan. It didn't work for them. As the game got underway, City showed their intent very, very soon. Riyad Mahrez shot wide in the fifth minute, and there was a beautiful penetrating pass from Fernandinho. I'm beginning to realize Fernandinho can do these defense splitting passes, and that was fantastic. At times, Mendy and Walker played so high up the pitch, it was like a 2-4-4. It's like Guardia was turning English football completely on its head. Walter, we didn't have to wait too long for a goal. In the eighth minute, I think it was Lasselle on the edge of the penalty area, under no pressure, by the way, passed the ball straight to Mendy. Mendy fed Sterling, and then Sterling does what he's done in the past. He cuts inside, beginning to become like his signature style of goal. He cuts inside. He doesn't go right across the front of the defence like he did before, but he did enough to open up a space and then hit an absolute cracker. was another assist for Benjamin Mendy. It wasn't much of a hard worked assist but it was an assist anyway what did you think of that goal the thing I love about Sterling scoring is he's got so many knockers do you know people are willing to knock him for absolutely any reason with a slight sort of drop of the shoulder and coming into the the penalty area he's taken two defenders completely out of the equation but he's hit it hard and he's hit it towards the goalpost and it's just got in the corner there it's just an absolute brilliant goal I remember the whole ground just erupted when he scored that because he's an intelligent player, he's Sterling, and he's weighed up the odds in his head. And just as I said, with the drop of the shoulder, you're taking out two of the back of a back four and you're leaving that opportunity then for you to have a strike on goal. A bit like Southampton or whatever, it was a fantastic strike. It's not one of them where you look at the goalkeeper and think, should have got to that. It's one of them, he's just a great goal. The goalkeeper, who I thought was had a fantastic game, but he weren't stopping that. And he certainly wasn't going to stop the next one we're talking about. Yeah, I hope Premier League teams don't start to get wise to this because I think the person whose name I was searching for there was 
Bayern Munich's Arjen Robben. He has that signature cut inside goal. Although everyone knows about it, not you're not able to stop it whenever he, he does it most of the time. And I hope it's like that for Sterling too. But uh, I saw something interesting on social media. After that, it was described as Rafa Benitez's rope-a-dope tactic. And basically, what he seemed to be doing was just trying to let City tire themselves out. Now, there were shots by Aguero on the 16th minute. He shot just wide. And then three minutes later, he played a beautiful pass for Gabriel Jesus. Unfortunately, he, although he was able to turn inside his defender, he shot too close to Dubravka, yeah. the goalkeeper. Yeah, Walter, did you think that City's attempts on goal started to fizzle out a little bit? Did you find that they were just, you know, the clinical, edge was missing I was laughing because I just thought when Sterling scored eight minutes Newcastle I thought of floodgates yeah <laughs> I mean I just thought we're gonna score a hatful here and you know you had Aguero's chance of it nestles in the bottom corner we don't even think about it you know and Gabby Jesus he did the hard work by taking out again two defenders with you know that swivel of the hips and the dragging the ball back and he's done the hard work by doing that in some ways he sort of telegraphed which side he was going to be shooting on Gabby Jesus for me is um, he's just a special talent who needs uh, he's one of them once he gets the first or second goal you can see a lot more coming I was listening to um, another podcast not overly confident in what they felt Gabby Jesus would bring to Manchester City and I just thought to myself there's not a team in the world that wouldn't have Gabby Jesus in the squad anywhere on the planet and the fact that we've got him and some people feel a bit downbeat about it. I just think it's madness. Give your head a wobble. This is a young, talented kid. He's got all the tricks. He's through on goal. And it made me sort of think about Michael Owen, believe it or not, was discussing. His whole idea was if he got a shot off on goal, and whether it missed or not, he thought to himself, done well there. And that's how, just that was his natural perception. Like you got Gabby Jesus, took the ball there, just with a swivel of the hips, has beaten two players. He's got his shot off, fair play, you know, the goalkeeper saved it. How many other players would we be bringing in who would get the ball like that, would make the run like that, would do the swivel of the hips like that and take the two players out and get the shot off? This is a young kid. Things can only get better, in the famous words of D-Ream. Absolutely, he is going to get better. There's no doubt about that. And Walter, I totally agree with you. When the first goal went in, I was thinking the same thought, actually, coincidentally. (laughs) The floodgates are going to open. But unfortunately, on the half-hour mark, Newcastle got a chance to play out quickly. And a player who's very inconsistent for them did something great. The guy Kennedy, he managed to do superbly well to bring the ball down out of the air on the edge of the box. City were a little bit exposed. Mendy was nowhere. He quickly played the ball across to Salomon Rondon and he struck a beautifully weighted cross through Stones' legs, actually. People didn't notice that at the time. Their wing-back, DeAndre Yedlin, sprinted in from the right. As I said, Mendy wasn't there. There was only Gabby Jesus, actually, who was back to try to prevent anything happening, but he couldn't get there quick enough and he steered the ball past Ederson for 1-1. This is a little bit what you get with Ben Mendy, isn't it? Because, you, you know, he does so brilliantly when he's attacking, but sometimes he can't get back quick enough. And that was Newcastle's only shot on target in the match and they scored from it. What did you think? Were you disappointed with that? From a defensive point of view, what's happened is that the ball's been knocked up to the lad in the middle who's brought the ball down. There's three defenders around him, but then he's got the support on the left, so he knocks the ball out. So Rondon's got the ball and he's, whether you think it's, if it's fortunate or not, it's gone through the legs of Stones. Mm-hmm. And it's a perfectly weighted cross. Just thinking, as Gabby Jesus was running into the box with him, he seems to just to sort of half slow down. Player gets sort of beyond him. Fair play, Gabby Jesus is a, he's just a, he's a Rottweiler, isn't he? You know, he's, he's, he's up one end and he's tracked this player all the way back to the six-yard box. Benjamin Mendy cannot be in two places at one time. A fantastic athlete. And we want him up there for the dangerous ability in his crossing. The system should be set up. If he's bombed on, someone should be coming back. Now, whether that's Fernandinho, should have the eye out for the counter-attack. Fair play to Newcastle. It was the perfect counter-attack. A team of Newcastle's quality are very rarely going to do two of them in a game. City kept plugging away, but it stayed on the same scoreline at 1-1 until half-time. But seven minutes after half-time, City were plugging away, working the ball across the pitch. And in doing so, and I think this is what Pep likes to do, working the ball across the pitch, not 
you know, for the sake of it, to try to open up space. And in doing so, they actually pulled Paul Dummett out of position, opening up a bit of space. Walker gets on the ball. And from 30 yards out, he hit this ball like a missile through a forest of legs, <laughs> beat Jabravka at the far post. It was an almighty strike. And Walter, not only was that Walker's first goal for City in all competitions in 52 appearances, but it's actually his first goal of any kind since November 2015, nearly three years since he scored a goal. And what a cracker it was. What did you think? I just, I think the whole collective ground. Walker gets the ball, and you can see the, you know, the the leg winding up for the shot, and you can just sort of feel the no, yes, <laughs> it was uh, an absolute thunderbolt. You know, it's. Um, I often look at, you know, John Mackham scored that goal for Preston against us, and you just sat there thinking, oh, yeah. it's a worldie. He won't score another one like that. Peter Crouch scored one for Stoke. It's a worldie. He'll never score another one like that. And some respects, I'm thinking that might be a bit like Carl Walker's. He just got hold of this ball. I think the, the, the holes in his socks must have let the air in just at the right time to pow. Was, if that was the old Batman, it just you'd see the pow sign come up with the, you know, the music coming on. This was just an absolute strike and a half. And he jumped up and he was celebrating right in front of me. I'm only a few rows back. I'm not into kissing men, but I'd have jumped. So I'd have run on the pitch, hugged him and given him a big kiss on that because it was just absolutely superb. And it was a goal that mattered as well. It wasn't, you know, 4-1 making it 5-1. This was sort of a pressure cookie. It's the second half, it's 1-1. All the good work we've done in the first half has been undone. This was a sort of pressure situation. And he got hold of it. And as anybody could see from the look on his face, from the look on his teammates, everyone was just happy for him. You know what I mean? There was 3,000 fans in that stadium that weren't and 11 players on the pitch and they were all Newcastle fans. Yeah, everyone love, in the stadium was happy for him. I love Walker. He really, through his his celebration is beginning to rival Vinnie Companies. He really is enjoying his time <laughs> at City. And he's a great man for the dressing room. I think he's, and he came across so well in the documentary as well. He's fantastic. But uh, Walter, uh, after the goal, um, City continued to plug away. Uh, Jesus uh, had a goal disallowed for offside in the 55th minute. But something changed a little bit three minutes later. Bernardo came on. Bernardo Silva came on for Gabriel Jesus and... And then, Walter, we saw what you referred to earlier, one of the sweetest passes you'll ever see, struck with the outside of the left uh, foot to Aguero. And I think, uh, from from what I saw on the replays, I think almost every City fan in the sands that, 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 that saw that, they all stood up to applaud that. It was kind of like worth the, worth the price of admission on its own, wasn't it? Well, yeah, he's... Um... What made it for me was the it was it was the Edison rollout. I mean, what we're talking about is you, you get television cameras and you'll get people high up in the stands who can see the overall picture of a game. Mm -hmm. But in reality, when you're on the pitch, it's a lot harder to see that overview. So Edison rolling that ball out to see the gap to, to pick literally in the Newcastle half. Bernardo picks it up on that sweet outside of the foot. But I thought he looked a live wire from the moment he came on. Yeah, he made um, a big difference, didn't he? Oh, I've, and how sick. I mean, I think their goalkeeper pulled off four different saves. You know, that first one from Ferrandino, and then you had one from Silver. <laughs> and um, sorry, I think another little cheeky nudge from Silver as well. He just sort of, it wasn't going in the back of the net. You know, it's just sort of. Uh, but their goalkeeper pulled off some fantastic saves, and that was made by the Edison to the Silver or Bernardo Silver sort of pass, and the waiting of Aguero not to go offside as well. And the pass, you know, from Aguero to Fernandinho was just absolutely delicious. So it deserved a goal. Do you know when we said uh, Sterling last week that strike deserved the goal yeah. against Wolves? It was a, that sort of build-up play. Sometimes you think he just deserves a goal. But, you know, fair play to the Newcastle goalkeeper. He's sort of ruined a, 
what would have been arguably goal of the month for us, but that's just the way it is. Yeah, I mean, Walter, that's what the, the there were all the classic ingredients there for a day of frustration. You've got a team with five at the back. You have a goalkeeper like Dubravka, who in that triple save that he made, and then later to deny Silva, um, he was putting in an outstanding uh, performance. But uh, luckily, we were bailed out uh, by uh, Kyle Walker. There was a there was an attempt at a bicycle kick from Aguero, but uh, unfortunately, that didn't come off, and uh, and Jesus couldn't follow up. And then Gundogan was brought on for Mares, and once again, unfortunately, uh, Walter uh, Mares uh, is uh, uh, maybe a little bit like uh, Sane in his first season. He's taking his time really to to get up to speed, isn't he? It's um, it's um, when it's, when I think about Mares, I just think you've got a wonderfully wonderfully talented player here. We're not we've not bought a mug in any way, shape, or form, and it just seems to th- when I'm looking at him, it's, he just seems to be trying too hard, and he's not relaxed into it. And I think the moment he scores a goal or things start coming off for him. I honestly believe we've got a player there who will rip most teams apart. You know, whether that's in the Premier League or that's in the Champions League, he's absolutely just an exquisite player. And if you read back at the time when we signed him, the Leicester fans, I mean, they appreciated that he was going on to Manchester City and going on to the Champions League, but they were saying he was the best ever player to play for them. So we're not bought a mug here. We just bought a guy who's landed. He's played. We've had four games, and he's played more in some than others. He'll all come good. I'm just so not worried about Mares. It's untrue. Mm. Just let him relax. Let him find his groove, and then it's lift off. Well, Walter, we saw at the game finished up with two one and. Uh... And uh, some people have been saying that City have not really hit their straps yet, but Pep has been saying all along, he's been consistently saying that the season will not start until after the international break because then you have games coming, uh, you know, two, three games per week, and uh, then you're going to really find out. One of the funny things I read on Twitter was a guy who, after Tottenham's unexpected defeat against Watford, he says that we don't, we don't have a big six any longer. We've got a big three and a wee three. And he said that the big three are City, Liverpool and Chelsea. And then the wee three are Tottenham, Arsenal and Man United. What do you think about the big three and the wee three? Is that accurate, do you think? No, I think we've got a, we've got a big six. Um, you know, it's... You've got Chelsea there, who are learning under a new manager. You've got Liverpool, who've invested wisely. You've got Tottenham, who got off to a flyer. Could it be a blip? We don't know. We've got Arsenal, trying to get used to a new manager. And then we've got United. But if them, if one of them drops out of the top six, I will be flabbergasted. You know, you're looking at... You've got... United could quite easily finish above Chelsea. You know, you look at Tottenham could easily finish above Chelsea. People make rash and grand statements after, uh, you know, four games in that quite simply don't hold up when you look at them at the end of the season. But then that's what Twitter's for. You know, we've all spouted nonsense on it, but it could always come back to haunt us. So maybe that will with him. Well, it's looking not so bad for us, Walter. After the break, after the international break, we've got Fulham at home. We're away to Cardiff and then at home to Brighton. All winnable games. By contrast, uh, Liverpool have got Tottenham and Chelsea both away with uh, Southampton at home in between. So I guess it's then that we're going to really find out about Liverpool's title credentials. Would you Would you agree? It's not even... Um, nothing's won. Nothing's won in October. You know, it's it, it is it, the old saying. You know, it's it's a marathon and it's not a sprint. And somebody can come out of traps flying. And remember, Sven Goran Eriksson took out was our manager. We came out of the traps flying, but we soon sort of fell away. Mm. You know, Watford are up at the top, but 
no one's going to be backing them to win the league. Um, so Liverpool have had four easy games so far. Yep. You know, and good luck soon. They've got the the maximum points. That's all that can be asked from them. Uh, same with Chelsea. But we're two points behind. They've got harder games to come, as we have as well. And you know, don't know how injuries are going to affect. You don't know how form's going to dip. You don't know whether Liverpool are going to just run out of steam in the end. So anybody making wild, bold predictions at this time of the year normally ends up with egg on the face. Well, Liverpool did concede their first goal uh, of the season. And it was very interesting for me, Walter, because... uh, uh, Alisson tried uh, some kind of Cruyff turn uh, and lost the ball, was dispossessed and conceded that way. And a lot of people were noticing the fact that if that had been City, you would have had three or four players showing uh, for the ball, giving the goalkeeper options. But um, and, and Liverpool don't have that system. They're not used to it. Uh, but I don't think it would have really made any difference, would it, Walter? Because basically Alisson tried to be a bit clever uh, with his Cruyff turn and got dispossessed and uh, conceded a goal. And that's the second game in a, in a, in a row now where he's been giving giving um, Liverpool's manager, Jurgen Klopp, the jitters. He's commented on it twice. Um, this is the guy who is the number one and Ederson is number two. I don't get this. It's um, it's a strange one. I mean, I'm not quite sure the age of Allison. Is he older than Edison? Yeah, he's, he's he got a more couple, experience. Couple of, couple of years older, just. Um, you, you don't know what the setup is with the you know the Brazilian national team, but put it this way: if somebody said, "Walter, you've got a magic wand, we'll wave it, and Edison can go to Liverpool, Allison will come to Manchester City," it's up to you. Do you want to take this option? Not a chance. Not a chance. Okay, Walter. Well, moving away from the game um, with the three points in the bag, uh, we're all happy with that. Uh, What also happened uh, between now and the last podcast has been the Champions League draw. Now, City have drawn Hoffenheim, Lyon and Shakhtar Donetsk. What was your reaction to the Champions League draw? Yes. <laughs> you sound like Mark Goldbridge when he heard that young boys were in the group of uh, Man United. Oh. <laughs> it's, um, do you know what? I, I was thinking about this and I've not heard this opinion anywhere else at all. And I thought to myself, is, is it the best draw for City? And the reason I say that is we've got Tottenham have got an awful draw. Oh, yeah. Liverpool have got an awful draw. Yeah. Manchester United, they've got an awful draw. draw. Yeah. Well, I think it's an awful draw for them because I don't think they're better than two of the teams in there. Yeah. If all those teams go out of the Champions League and it's just us left in it, their amount of games that they play will be nowhere near the amount City have to play if they want to retain this title. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, if all of them just flop out, ultimately is that good for City? I'm not quite sure. So, you know, you've got that that sort of uh, juxtaposition again. Yeah, well, uh, that's an interesting way of looking at it. I was delighted with it. I think those are... I think, <laughs> I think uh, personally, from our point of view, we could possibly get this, you know, some people agreed... That we could get, uh, we could we could finish our group with a couple of games to spare and get Foden and Diaz in, and uh, rest some of our our players. But um, yeah, opinions are divided on that. Uh, I take your point, Walter. We also had um, another draw, and this is for the Carabao Cup. We of course have that. We're the the reigning Carabao Cup champions. Um, but we drew Oxford Oxford United away, and it was funny for me because Joey from the Noisy Neighbours podcast said that the reason for this was that they probably forgot to put our ball in the microwave. Uh, that's how we got them. As you know, we're, we don't usually get very nice draws in domestic cup competitions. Um, were you happy with that as, uh, as our draw? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, was it last um, semi-final? We could have ended up with Arsenal, we could have ended up with Chelsea, we could have ended up with Bristol, and we ended up with Bristol. 
So we did go through a stage of getting horrendous Champions League balls and horrendous or draws and horrendous sort of FA Cup and the Carabao Cup or whatever they're calling it this month. And it just seems to be you can't have that kind of bad looks forever. And, you know, the time may be turning. Maybe we were seen as part of the established elite, so they're not quite giving us the... We're not the cheeky upstart anymore, so they might not be giving us those hard draws. <laughs> no, I'm just of course. Um, yeah, Oxford away. You know, it's one of those grounds that most City fans won't have been to. And it'd be a good experience just to get down there. I always like the home draws, because even though it's a half-empty stadium at this stage of the Carabao Cup, ah, I don't mind that. I'll go along meet up with the same people and have a bit of a laugh. So I do like the home draws, but as long as we're on the telly, I don't mind. Well, Walter, uh, one thing that we should talk about just very briefly, we've talked about this before, but I'm always interested when a topic connected with Man City is discussed on all of the major sort of non-City podcasts. And that uh, subject is Leroy Sané. Now, for those... Uh, who don't know, let's just get this right. Leroy Sané has not started a single game so far this season. His only contributions have been three short substitute appearances. Um, The game that we just talked about against Newcastle, he was totally omitted. He wasn't even on the bench. Uh, Apparently the reason is because that Guardiola has detected slackness in his attitude on the training uh, ground. And... Pep was asked about this, and he totally uh, avoided, really, the question and just made the comment as follows. In the last game, Phil Foden was not in the squad, and I was so sad for him, just as I'm so sad for Leroy. So Pep just seems to be saying it's one of those things that someone gets left out of this squad every week. This time it was Leroy, last time it was Foden, so there's nothing to see here. Please move on. Uh, but they're not moving on. They're talking about this. Uh, it seems to me, Walter, that this is speculation because there's no evidence of any type, uh, certainly that we know about, that there's a problem between Pep and Leroy. How do you see it? There's no problem. I mean, this is a few games into a season. It was exactly the same the season before, and he was injured with the season before that. So whether he's a slow starter whether he needs that sort of warm-up time, you know, of a few weeks to sort of finally get into the swing of things, we don't know. We're speculating speculating on speculation. You know, maybe he's turned around to Leroy and said, look, you've got to call up for the Germany squad, go and see your folks, and then go and join up with him. So we don't overly or actually know about what's been said because Pep will defend his players to the death. Uh, <laughs> You know, when he's uh, gets them, he'll tell them the truth on their own. Mm-hmm. And we just, I, I don't, if this continues and, you know, it gets to Christmas or whatever, then we may have a problem. But Leroy Sane is the only person that can do anything about Leroy Sane's attitude in training. And if you're at a club and Pep's there and you're thinking, I'm working with the best manager in the world, do I take his advice? Well, if he doesn't, is an idiot, and then you've got to question the whole idea of would he ever fulfil the potential anyway. Well, another person who came in for a bit of criticism across all of the podcasts, particularly because of the goal uh, that we conceded was Benjamin Mendy, and on that score, uh, Pep responded with his statement, and his statement on Mendy was as follows. Estuvo Lesionado e aún está aprendiendo cosas. Walker la sentiendo mejor, which being translated <laughs> says, when you're injured for a whole season, it's hard. There are many things that Ben Mendy does well, but he is still learning. Kyle Walker understands things a little bit more than Mendy does at this point. And that's uh, Pep comparing his two fullbacks. Would you uh, sort of agree with that, that uh, that basically Mendy's injury, his year out, is playing quite a big part in his failure on occasion to fulfil both roles of a, of you know attacking winger and defensive fullback? 
Well, I don't think it's got anything to do with his fitness. I think it's his mental sharpness and his uh, ability to sort of see danger coming and work within the system. And, you know, you're concentrating out there for 90 minutes. If he's bombing, he can't be in two places at once, as I said before. And if he's bombing on, somebody should be in behind him covering. Now, whether that was Gabby Jesus, I'm not quite sure. I know Silva had a strong word with Mendy after the goal mm-hmm. and was talking to him. And however, he's sort of saying, look, you, you've dropped this or you've done this wrong. I'm not overly sure. But Martin Perrinow said that 20 games minimum it takes to get used to this pep system and for it to become sort of instinct instinct within the player. He's not had anywhere near he's four games this season, a handful last season, training with a different trainer over the summer for France. He's not got used to any of his systems yet. And he's just shown us his raw ability, not overly within the pep system yet. And he looks fantastic going forward. Defensively, we we yet to find out. But he offers so much that you can almost forgive him this odd lapse. Um, you know, if it's a, still a problem at Christmas, maybe we do have a problem. But till then, no. We're talking about one of the best attack, or the best attacking left back in Europe. Walter, are you old enough to remember the old Barry Manilow song, Mandy? Oh, Mandy, when you came. My word. You remember that? <laughs> now, you're, now you're singing it. I'm sure I've heard it at karaoke. <laughs> well, I'm just mentioning it, uh, just a shout out for Barbara Ellen, a City fan on Twitter, who suggests that we should just uh, have this as our song for Benjamin Mendy and change Mandy to Mendy. And uh, thank you very much for that, Barbara. I think it's a good suggestion. And I know the guys at uh, Man City Fan TV have... Uh, have enjoyed that uh, remark, and they're they're working on uh, working on filling in some more words in the chorus for the song. But uh, let's move on, uh, Walter. After the game against Newcastle, uh, Pep said this. This was his summary. What he leaves us with as we go for the next two weeks without any City football, apart from the women's team. I guess there's a there's a game there. But Pep said to start with ten points from twelve is a good start for us. Step by step, we will get our best condition. After the international break, the season starts with the Champions League, the Carabao Cup. The kids go back to school and there will be order in our lives. I guess as a young dad, you probably uh, agree with some of that. Yeah, um, my three kids are all gone back to school, so they're not back just yet. Dad's gone back before them teacher training days. I could see where he's coming from. Tell you what's going to sort it out for me. You've got, Liverpool have got an incredible about seven games from the moment they get back till they play us and they could be dropping points left, right and centre. You know, they've got Chelsea twice. I think they play Napoli, they play us. Uh, Whatever else they've got in the Champions League. And I just think if they come through that unscathed, they are making a big statement of intent but no chance they ain't. <laughs> Walter, did you see the painting that came out called The Dressing Room of Dreams? I did see it. It was um, a nice surprise, wasn't it? It just came a bolt from the blue, as it were. Oh. It just sort of... Um, and it, What was brilliant about it, it's, it's not... The overall picture is fantastic, but it's the, the, the incredible detail that's gone into it as well. You know, whether it's the... Carlos Tevez, you know, welcome to Manchester above the um, the door, whether it's the Manchester B next to the badge, you know, whether when you look closely at the Premiership trophy, you can see Sergio Aguero's reflection. It's all, it's, it's an overall beautiful piece of work, but it's also just when you look at it, there's probably a thousand and one different things I haven't actually noticed in there. And I will continue to study and look at it. But yeah. Just brilliant. Walter, I put out a little tweet on Twitter asking if there were any players that are, were not in the picture that should have been and got about 50 or 60 responses. There were a lot of ones. Uh, I'll go through this list very briefly. Well, he's in my list. Peter Doherty, who was apparently one of our amazing players. Don Revy, of course. Paul Power, who was the hero of 1981. Peter Barnes and Gary Owen. Peter Barnes, of course, with Dennis Stewart. They were responsible for our 1976 F Cup win. 
Really surprised about Dennis Stewart. Paul Lake, of course. Some people suggested Rod Marsh. I don't know if he quite deserves place in the dressing room of dreams. But we also have um, Roy Paul, Dennis Law, Kazimierz Dana, Dave Watson, and Andy Morrison. David White, Niall Quinn, Tommy Booth, Mick McCarthy. <laughs> Was there anybody there, Walter, that deserves a place in the dressing room of dreams. Oh, I'd have Andy Morrison front, centre, true hero of mine. To be honest with you, I'm looking at the picture right in front of me now, and how big can the dressing room be? You know, they've had to be selective. There's players in there that are going to be absolutely gutted. Um, but, you know, what can you do? There's only so many. There's only so big that the dressing room actually is, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think there's no way to get them all in. But it's a, it's a stunning piece of work, isn't it, Walter? And I think that while uh, the, the large version might be out of most people's price range, maybe, maybe there's a way to get a smaller version. Do you think you'll be... Um investing in that i think me myself uh you can buy one for a limited edition for 500 pounds oh. nah, i better be a good i better be good because santa, santa might bring that to me but i doubt it that's almost an hour's uh, pay for you walter isn't it oh my word uh but no i haven't got a chance of getting that and you're looking at the print sketch is 60 pound to be honest i'm gonna have it as my screensaver and that'll do me you know it's a nice thing to look at and It'd be a nice thing to have up in the house, you know, as a party piece and people would come and have a look at it. And it'd probably prompt quite a bit of debate. You know, the, I like the fact they've got the, the banana on there, the inflatable. Whoever's put this together, the artist J.B. Cooper, I believe he's Australian. There's been a lot of consultation that's gone into this. And there have been a lot of heartache about who you drop out. They're not going to sell many if they're 500 quid a, a throw, but... Uh... Maybe that price will come down as the months go on. Walter, let's just talk about a city-related scandal uh, this week. Flashbang headline, Sergio Aguero was spotted smoking from a shisha pipe. Should we sell him? Should we um, suspend him? Are the FA going to intervene? My only comment on that is he's playing fantastic. Maybe he should smoke some more. <laughs> well, Pep gave it short shrift. His comment was this. I didn't speak with him. It doesn't bother me. So that's where uh, that's where Pep stands on the issue. Walter, there was another little controversial thing that happened uh, during the week. Tottenham and Manchester City have agreed to move their October clash back by 24 hours, allowing it to be played at Wembley Stadium on Monday the 29th of October. Now, Wembley, of course, is already booked up on the original date that was going to be uh, Sunday the 28th of October for an NFL game. Now, this is major inconvenience for City fans who now have to travel down to London on a Monday night. And many of these City fans will already have booked their travel to the capital for that game. If City reached the fourth round of the Carabao Cup, of course, we know we, we drew Oxford in, in, in round three. But if we get to the fourth round, then round four games are scheduled for the week starting Monday the 29th. So the Blues and, and Tottenham could be facing games on both Monday and Wednesday now because of this change to the fixture schedule. I think it's a bit of a disgrace that Tottenham haven't got this all sorted. But you know, I, I'm hoping that they, they incur heavy fines. That, that, that's the way to get to Daniel Levy, isn't it? You know, you, you, you hit him in his pocket because that's what he seems to care about. I like the fact that I, I, what I heard was City are putting on free coaches to all supporters who've got a ticket and travelling down from Manchester. Okay. So if you have booked him, you know, that should be... You know you've got a place on a coach, but, you know, what times you get back from Wembley on a coach and you might have worked the next day. Again, football fans are back of the queue. Um, does that surprise you? No. Walter, two more things before we finish off. Were you a little bit disappointed that uh, Phil Foden and Jaden Sancho were not picked for the upcoming England friendlies. Everyone thought that this is the time when Southgate is going to include them. Everyone thought that these two youngsters were going to get their chance in these fairly meaningless friendlies. Disappointed about that? Short answer, no. Uh, long answer, if Foden wants to be a part of it, you know, that might be nice for him, but he's just got time on his side, hasn't he? You know, he's got... He might have the next 15, 16 years to be able to fulfil his England duty. Nah, not worried at all. Another thing, Walter, I just wanted to ask your opinion on is a quote by 
City fan on Twitter, or as I like to call them, Twitterzins, Kevin Palmer, and he made this quote. I wonder if, if you agree because you were at the game. He made this comment that was a little bit controversial. He said, it was a woefully muted atmosphere at the, at the Etihad Stadium, and this does not help the great Man City team at times. It felt like there was a sponsored silence underway at times here today. Walter, you were at the game. Do you agree with that? No, not at all. I, I thought it was... Uh... I thought the city got it right. I thought it was I thought it was quite a decent atmosphere there, to be honest. Uh, I don't know what part of the ground he was sat in, but no, I thought uh, the later kickoff seemed to suit football fans because you know they can have a few extra pints and be a bit more jovial, as it were, as they enter the ground. So no, I, I, I'm not quite sure where he's coming from from that. What do you think of my newly created word, Walter? City fans on Twitter as Twitterzins. I'm trying to make this happen, but uh, it's not catching on. What do you think? Twitterzins for people that post negative comments about City on Twitter? Does that work for you? No. <laughs> I would say positive comments. Twitterzins are positive comments. Okay. Not negative. It's uh, Twitterzins are City fans who take to Twitter to say all the beautiful things about the citizens of Manchester. Have you ever seen the movie Mean Girls? No. It's a movie about teenage girls, high school comic drama, and one of the girls tries to incorporate a new word into their vocabulary. The word is fetch, and when she sees something good, she says, that's fetch, that's fetch. And after a while, her friends become a little bit tired of this, and uh, the queen bee of the threesome says to her, stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. Stop trying to make it happen. Maybe that's what I have to do with Twitters in. I'm going to have to stop trying to make that happen. No one's catching on to this. But Walter, I think on that note, <laughs> not going to say it's a bombshell, but on that note, I think that will do us for this week. Guys, be sure to tune in again after the international break to the Bolt from the Blue podcast. But let me actually correct that. I've just been consulting with Walter and uh, we will do our best to get another podcast out next week. I know that City aren't playing for a fortnight, but the Bolt from the Blue podcast is dedicated to our band of merry supporters so we will try to get something out for you next week as well walter is on twitter at man city smith isn't that right walter it is indeed and i'm there too at bolt from the blue and guys if you've got any comments or questions for us anything you'd like us to discuss on the pod we'd be very very grateful to receive them so until we speak to you again next week guys drink it in have one on us And don't forget to toast with Up the Blues.